This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. All right. Thank you so much for William and Dustin's first cross X and Samuel and Cal. You guys are back in the seat for your second 10 minute cross X of William and Dustin. Go ahead, Cal. Hey, Dustin, I have a very important question to ask first. Did you actually have Papa John's for dinner or was it just a prop? Oh, I ordered it specifically for today. And if you come over, you can have a slice. I got one right here with your name. Oh, right. oh you're tempting me. So there used to, I have to take a bit of time here. There used to be Papa John's in Malaysia. And in the city where we used to live, my family frequented there like once a week. And I'm not kidding. Whenever we moved from that city, the Papa John shut down within a couple of months. So I think we were the ones keeping it in business. I love Papa John's. So uh, Dustin, I want to ask you a couple of questions uh, really briefly. So obviously I brought up Daniel 7. And um, you might have noticed throughout the argument, I did not focus on proscuneo. Uh, I did not focus on the hishtafel of Chava. Uh, but instead, I looked at halach in the Aramaic. And the reason that I did this is because this is a word that is only used of religious devotion of a deity. Um, but I noticed in your response, you only focused on proscuneo, which is fine. That's the typical way that this argument goes. But how would you respond to palach? Yeah, I think the uh, what we see in Daniel is clearly that the worship that is due to the Ancient of Days which I'm sure you'll be able to verify in Aramaic, is the Ancient One of Days. That's one person, not three persons. Uh, he actually shares that with this Son of Man figure. Okay, So we have this Son of Man figure who is able to receive worship that is primarily due to uh, the one true God. But we also see that as the passage goes on, that figure, the Son of Man, is a representative figure for other suffering human beings. So whatever you want to say about the worship that's given to the Son of Man, it's also given to other people that are unambiguously human, someone who is not the Ancient of Days. So I don't think it's actually correct to say that uh, the verb in Aramaic only refers to the worship of God. Uh, since we only have 10 references for it, uh, that's not a big sample size, but I think clearly Daniel 7 uh, has a little bit more to say about uh, the figure um, and what is actually uh, given to this Son of Man figure. Yeah, it's actually um, a small reference size in the Aramaic portions of the Old Testament. But as you know, in the Aramaic Targumim, as well as in the Old Greek translation, it uses Palak a number of times, only in worship, or only in reference to the worship of Yahweh or a temple service of a false god, um, as well as the old Greek translation, Latruo or Latrevo, depending on our uh, pronunciation of yeah. Greek. Um, <clears throat> that's always fun. Uh, is also the same type of dedication to a deity type uh, worship or service. And that's why Jesus says in Luke 4 8, serve God alone right? So would you say right. that the Son of Man then is on the side of the Creator, or is he a creature? Uh, I think that uh, Son of Man uh, means uh, a human one, which by definition is someone who is uh, actually created. And again, since Daniel 7 continues to unpack the definition of this representative Son of Man figure as referring to 
the Jewish holy ones, uh, the Jewish holy people, uh, the, the saints of the Most High, um, we get further indication that uh, human beings are clearly being involved there. I don't think that, I, I, I haven't quite heard if you don't agree with that evidence or not. Um, but one of the things that I had brought up earlier is that, um, that, that God and human beings can be the object of worship and, and in a way that doesn't threaten monotheism. So, and I don't think in the New Testament, uh, Jesus is ever um, unambiguously the object of the verb latrepo. I do think that is reserved for the Father alone. Can I add a little bit there, Dustin? I think as a biblical Unitarian, we would read a verse like Matthew 4.10 as, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall latruo. I do latruo, he does latrevo, I think. So he disagreed, Dustin and I disagree on the, the, the pronunciation there. But the point is, is that proskuneo, as we pointed out in our speech, applies to many, many people in the Bible. Uh, but Latruo only goes to the one true God. And again, in the New Testament, like Dustin just said, Latruo only applies to the, to the Father. It's never uh, given to the Son. And, and worship, I'll add, proskuneo, Latruo, Dotrevo, whatever, Sabaomai, all, all the other forms of worship, none of them are given to the Holy Spirit. I'll, uh, I'll just add that piece as well. Yeah, thanks, Will. Thanks, Dustin. So you would say then that whenever the old Greek translators used Latrevo for Palat, that they were incorrect in their translation? Because they say that you'd Latrevo, the son of man. Well, yeah, I, I, I think they do say that. Now, there are, there are a couple of mistranslations in the Greek uh, coming from the Aramaic. Uh, I do think in the Greek it does say that the, uh, the son of man comes as the Ancient of Days, which the Aramaic unambiguously does not say. So there, there are a couple of places to where that's right, not right. true. But again, we, the point is that there are things that are appropriate for the one true God, but it seems in Daniel 7.14 that he shares those things with uh, the Son of Man. It's, it's the Ancient of Days and his dominion, his glory, and his kingship that are now given uh, to, um, to, to human beings. Okay, uh, So there's a distinction there, but they have it um, not because they are God. They have it because God has empowered and authorized them with it. So whenever it speaks of the Son of Man here, does it use singular pronouns and verbs, or does it use plural pronouns and verbs? I think in verses uh, 13 through 14, the initial vision uh, of, of the dream, uh, we have uh, a singular figure. But as the angel comes and interprets the apocalyptic vision, uh, as uh, Daniel requests for it to take place, I think in verses uh, 15 and 16, uh, you can see that as things get unpacked, um, that the Son of Man figure, a singular figure, gets unpacked as a plural group of holy ones, of uh, saints. So I think that's why he, Jesus uh, sees himself as the representative Son of Man in the Gospels, as a person who dies on behalf of people. I think it's, it's part of his right. atonement theory. And, um, the, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good point. So I agree, obviously it uses singular reference. And as we know, singular reference is referring to one being and not to, you know, a multitude of people. Um, but as that is brought up later on in the interpretation, it does mention that there is some type of unity between this people and this representative, this son of man. But I would even point out there that the, the, the distinction is made that through this one son of man, the people receive the kingdom, the holy ones, however you want to interpret that term in verse 27. But even then, mm -hmm. it still specifies 
his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will halach him. So here, right. it's once again, it's the halach, the service or the worship of the one individual. Is that incorrect? No, I, I think that that is a reference to God in verse 27, because uh, there's, there's no question that God obviously is going to be worshipped uh, at the uh, fulfillment of Daniel 7, uh, 27. That much is so, clear. So is there it, anything it say this in context? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead and finish. I'm sorry. I thought you were dead. Well, I, I just think... Um, and, and I, we probably wouldn't want to spend all the time like dissecting uh, all of Daniel chapter seven uh, during this time here. So it, it cut me off whenever you feel appropriate. Um, but we have, you know, these 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 four beasts um, that that come against uh, this, you know, uh, the people of God. And the people of God are represented uh, by a human figure. That's not surprising because Daniel chapter six has these ferocious beasts, um, these lions that are attacking uh, Daniel, and of course uh, God vindicates uh, this suffering human one. Uh, from the beast. And what we see in Daniel 7, we see the same thing. We see the Ancient of Days uh, vindicating uh, this the suffering people represented by a single figure from these terrible beasts. Uh, so again, there's a lot more we could say on that there. But uh, the point is, I, I'm not denying that the Son of Man is worshipped. What I'm trying to say is that Daniel 7.14 explicitly indicates that uh, he has so because the Ancient of Days has shared his dominion, his glory, and his kingship with this person indicating that he is a highly authorized and empowered agent and arguably a representative person for the suffering people of god hey dustin i love this because i'm confident that you and i if we just had a full day together we could just keep going back and forth on daniel 7 because it's such an awesome passage uh, i think we're all in agreement there hey one last thing uh, you brought up will in your opening uh, that wonderful exodus 23 20 passage where it speaks of the angel of the lord leading the people out of egypt um, and of course, we know that um, hundreds of times it refers to Yahweh as the God who brought you out of Egypt. Um, and then in Jude 5, which Sam mentioned, would you, where it says that Jesus led you out of Egypt only to later destroy you. Uh, how would you understand that? Oh, sorry. Time's up, but, yeah. Actually, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll actually, I'll actually jump get on kicked out to Dustin. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, 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 I want to make it clear to the audience that uh, Jude 5 is one of those textually uncertain passages. It doesn't absolutely certainly uh, say that it's actually Jesus who rescued them. In fact, all the other references to Jesus in the book of Jude refer to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very curious that the reference in verse 5 only says Jesus. And uh, there are quite a few scholars that suggest that this has been uh, theologically changed in the manuscripts to suggest that. So I don't think it's a very clear passage to, I think, make that particular point. Maybe you had another passage that explicitly it, it was, it was indicated. It theologically changed in the later manuscripts, All correct? All right. Um, that's that's time right there. All right. So William and Dustin, you're up for your final 10-minute cross-ex of Samuel Cal. Dustin, did you want to start off with any questions? or? No, no. Uh, you're doing okay. well. All right. Uh, I'm going to start with, uh, does Jesus have a God? Yes. Yes. So who is Jesus as God, according to the New Testament? Again, uh, according to the New Testament, the Father calls Jesus God. Jesus calls the Father God. Yes, uh, there is only one God. But each member of the Trinity so, is God. That's central to the Trinity. Yeah. Sure. So when Jesus quotes Psalm 22 on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Um, who is that God that he's referring to on the cross? I, I can respond to this, but uh, since I took most of the time uh, in, in the first one, Carl, would you want to, you want to respond as well? Uh, you can't, up to you? I just took the entire Q&A. So, uh, I, I mean, obviously, we, we believe that there is one God, right? So Jesus in his humanity on the cross, whenever he quotes Psalm 22, just like the psalmist, and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken and abandoned me? Uh, it is God, or it is God the Son, who is not forsaken from the Father, who is not cut off from the Father, but it is Jesus who we hold is fully God and fully man. It is the humanity of Jesus who is in this excruciating situation, literally excruciating at the cross, right? Uh, who says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So following up on that, you would say then his divine nature is part of that God that he's talking to then in that? So then no, is he talking to the Father or? So I, I, I have to uh, strongly disagree with the term part of uh, that because that would lead to partialism, which is, an, which is an, a heresy that Jesus is one third God. No, we believe Jesus is truly God. There is only one being. In, in that sense, no. Jesus is not the Father in personhood, but he is the same substance with the Father. So. Sure, but but when I ask, he, he's speaking to someone who's not himself, right? He's saying, my God, my God, yes. why have you forsaken me? You're agreeing that it's not himself. Yeah. Yes. So is, is it the Father then that he's talking to? Or the Father and yeah, the Spirit? Things can communicate with one another. Jesus uh, prays to the Father he, you know, is sent by the Father. Yeah, we're, we're in agreement with all that. Okay. Does the Bible ever suggest that the Father has a God? Yes. You would take yeah, Hebrews 1, 8 to mean that, Samuel? Absolutely. Okay. All right, I'm going to quote another Old Testament passage here, Deuteronomy 4.35. To you it was shown that you might know that Yahweh, he is God, there's no other besides him. Who is Yahweh in this passage? The one true God. So the Trinity, in other words. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So it, how is it possible... Uh, for us to understand that this is the Trinity when the uh, God is being defined with singular references and not plural references. You asked the question earlier, how would how the New Testament could possibly be written any other way in order to, to prove that Jesus is Yahweh than it is? I'm asking you the same question about the Old Testament. If, if, you, uh, if you want us to believe in a triune God, how is that possible with all these singular references? Right, because we don't believe that God is three in being. We don't believe that there are three gods. We believe that God is one in his being. And so it makes sense that Hebrew, Greek, and any other language would refer to him as a singular being, which is what we do um, all the time now. I mean, I pray to the one God. We worship God. Uh, God uh, reveals himself in Scripture. And in each of those situations, we're using God as a singular, um, but in our understanding, we mean that God is tri-personal. He is Trinitarian. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll and I also, I also wanted to add that. Cut in. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, go, go ahead, Dustin. Go ahead. Go ahead, Dustin. I just kind of wanted to clarify there that when it says he is God, there is no other besides him, the he and the him. Uh, you are saying that these singular pronouns refer to three persons and one God. Just, just that just, just and, and, I mean, that's what... your position. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. We can move on. Yeah, just 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 to add on, uh, if I could just add on to the point uh, that Carl mentioned earlier, is that okay, Will? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, we're good. We're yeah, good. all right. Yeah, so yeah, so what what I, what I wanted to mention earlier on is that uh, we we have to read scripture in context, and so when you start mm -hmm. off with the scriptures, you know, Genesis one, the Bible says Genesis one one, the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth, and immediately you see there's a spirit involved, there's the word of God involved. For God said. John 1.1 1, 1 adds commentary. I know you don't read it that way, but uh, I, I take it that John 1.1 1, 1 gives commentary into that and in saying that Jesus is the word who creates all these things. Um, and light is again referenced in John 1.3. So I, I'm, we're simply allowing scripture to interpret scripture. And so we see the very first three verses of the Bible already establish the triune God. And so everything else in scripture, we, we read it in that same light. And maybe that's that's why when you see it, we I, and I also want to say this for our audience, the question that is being asked is a really good one. It's if there's singular pronouns being used, how can you take a single singular pronoun and apply it to three persons? Uh, and that's really a good question. But our response is that we are simply taking uh, scripture, allowing scripture to interpret itself in that situation, realizing that God is one being in three persons right from the get go. All right. So pivoting a little bit to Jesus again, Jesus, as the son of God, is he the bio biological son of Yahweh? We're not Mormons, no. <laughs> so then why is it, why is it, yeah, why, so why sorry, is Carl, it didn't, didn't hear you. Matthew? Yeah. Go ahead. Go I'm ahead. sorry. Oh yeah. Uh, why is it the Matthew chapter one uses the verb ganao over 40 times to describe fathers begetting sons, biological sons, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob and so on. And then a few verses later, Matthew uses the same verb to describe the begetting of Jesus in the womb of Mary in Matthew one twenty. For the same reason, I would say, uh, Will, that every time the Bible uses the word sonship uh, other than God, it always it refers to physical begetting or physical sonship. But when God says that Israel is my firstborn, that's the exception. Uh, so we, we read that same, it's the same principle in the Old Testament we are applying to the new uh, in that sense. Yeah. I'm not sure if Carl wants to add on to that. No, I agree. I want to talk about Deuteronomy 18 a little bit. We talked about Deuteronomy 18 in our opening statement. In verse 15, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel. Is there anything in this context that would make the initial audience believe that the prophet to come would be any more than an Israelite human prophet? Shall, shall I respond? No, no, no. Oh, yeah. Uh, no. Once again, we, we fully agree that Jesus was fully human. And so that's fully God, fully man. That's not an issue at all. So for Jesus to be the fulfillment of the prophet mentioned here, and again in Deuteronomy 34, you know, that prophet has not arisen passage. That's not an issue. Yeah, Jesus was a fully Israelite, fully human prophet. So then you would say that the prophet, you know, we, we read this passage as you have Yahweh and you have the prophet uh, like Moses from among the brethren. 
Um, so you're saying, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but you're saying that these two figures are actually both Yahweh then. Is that correct? Is that a fair yes. representation? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about Psalm 2 then. In verse 2, do you agree that there are two figures, Yahweh and his anointed? There are two figures in view yes. there. And so Yahweh in that passage is Yahweh the Father. Yes. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Um, if Yahweh is the Father, can he also be the Son? Now, in this context, not in another context, but in this context, can he also be the Son? No, Yahweh the Father cannot be the Son. Okay. The Father is not the Son. No. The son is All right. Do you, agree, do you agree that Yahweh uh, is greater than the anointed Son in this context? Or no? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, and, and let me clarify okay. what I mean by that. Uh, in, in the sense that the Son... Again, we, we, I'm reading this in light of Philippians 2, that the son, though equal with the father, has willingly submitted himself, taking on human nature uh, and being born in the likeness of men. The kenosis has taken place. And in that sense, Jesus is functionally subordinate to the father. In that sense, the Psalm 2 concept, uh, sorry, the Psalm 2 passage is about dealing with the exaltation of Christ post-resurrection. Uh, and so mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm saying that in that sense, yes, the father is functionally greater than Christ. Yes. Okay. Thank you.